This is games in schools and libraries. The podcast about board, card and digital games and the ways in which they can find a place in schools or at the local library. Hosting provided by the Games for Educators website www.g4ed.com Welcome to Games in Schools and Libraries. My name is Giles Pritchard. I'm a teacher at St George's Road Primary School in Shepparton, Australia. I use games in my 3-4 classroom as well as for our games club, our games days and many other purposes. You can also find me on my blog, castlebymoonlight.blogspot.com or on Twitter as P. And I'm Donald Dennis. I'm with the Georgetown County Library System in Georgetown County, South Carolina, where I provide games and technology programming for the youth at our four libraries. I'm also the producer for the On Board Games podcast, which you can find at onboardgames.net. And you can find me as On Board Games on Twitter uh, and as Wolfsfios uh, elsewhere around the internet. Hey, Giles. Very good. How are you, Don? Boy, that almost sounded professional. I think we're getting the hang of this after, you know, a few episodes. (laughs) Doing well. All right, well, this episode we are going to talk a little bit about uh, spatial games. Games that are about shapes, moving shapes around, uh, building things. Uh, Games that involve that that concepts of um, spatial spatial relations where you're looking at uh, what fits where, what goes here, what goes there, how can I move this to uh, best suit my um, in-game position and so forth. So, Don, is there anything you've got to add particularly about spatial games for the library? Um, well, you know, it's an interesting topic because uh, I think spatial games really have you know, two kinds of elements to them. And one of them is sort of a dexterity element where you're, uh, you know, manipulating things and you're either trying not to make stacks fall or you're trying to build something up. And the other is more of, you know, a broader sweeping, you know, strategical, hey, I'm trying to control these areas and I'm moving my, uh, you know, things around this board, uh, something like a pente or a go, mm. where space is something you are trying to control as opposed to space is something you're uh, trying to either pull things from or add things to. Yep. So uh, which which way are you thinking of going with this? Well, in terms of um, the way I was thinking about spatial games, I was thinking about games that involve particularly um, shapes being placed into some sort of uh, space on the board and being used to fill that space for whatever purpose. I'm thinking games like Blockus, um, but also games where you're matching tiles up and you've got to look, you know, I've got this tile with this pattern on it, um, where is that going to fit on the board that best suits me? Uh, something like Carcassonne is a great example of that, or um, Tantrix is another example where you've got that whole um, visual aspect of you're looking and trying to work out where best suits the particular shape you've got and mentally you've got to be able to look at your piece you've got to be able to think about it not just as you're looking at but also um, when it's rotated when it's flipped around when it's you know fitting into all of the different positions that it could possibly fit into on the on the board and what is going to get you um, the best you know result in terms of the game so that's the sort of thing I was really thinking about all right, well, let's talk a little bit about that, and if we have time, we'll cover some of the other stuff as well. Yeah, uh, 
where, where do you find that uh, that uh, spatial games are useful? Uh, what what do they help? Uh, what's the benefit of them? Let's get some of that out of the way so that we can then talk about how we're using them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I, it's one of those things uh, across the curriculum. At least you know I can I can only really speak with confidence about um, the Australian curriculum, particularly the Victorian curriculum, uh, the state where I work and live. Um, but shapes, the ability to think about shapes and manipulate them, the ability to think about what this shape would look like if I rotate it 90 degrees to the right or to the left or if I flip it over or whatever else, um, that all comes under the, the, the banner of the maths curriculum or the mathematics curriculum and is, a, is an important part of that, the ability to visualise in, in multiple dimensions, the ability, as I said before, to mentally manipulate objects, the ability to look at something and to think about what it might look like from a slightly different perspective. And this is something that Spatial Games really keys into. So you're saying instead of being under art or or, or something along those lines, it's under math? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, the, the ability to um, think about, you know, left turns, right turns, if I... Um, flip this shape in this way or if I rotate this shape in this way it'll fit in here um, you know a classic old game um, that would you know fit this as Tetris of course um, you know that whole ability to to rotate shapes and think about it comes under the domain of, of being that maths logical skill of being able to think spatially about um, shapes and how they're be- how, how you can manipulate them to best suit your purpose and yeah it does come under the maths curriculum in Australia but certainly as, as you just said um, this whole thing comes under an art, uh, or could come under an art banner as well. Um, and you know, you think about where in life would this eventually be useful? These kinds of skills, of course, are. I was going to say archaeology, but I really meant architecture. Um, though I guess archaeology it would work as well. Uh, <laughs> but but the ability to uh, to build or construct, you know, buildings is going to require a lot of these skills. And I think probably one of the earliest toys that you're going to find that you know matches this kind of gameplay is either just building blocks or legos of course and legos is the ultimate hey we're putting things together we're playing in space uh 3d space yeah and it's very tough to find any game that has had sort of the durability the uh, the length and the breadth of products that are going to allow people to play in the 3d space yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think you're spot on. I think in terms of, you know, it's even that that ability to think about, as I said before, um, manipulating manipulating what you're looking at mentally in your mind by rotating it here, rotating it there, or whatever else comes in handy when you're looking at a map and you're driving along thinking about where am I. Now, um, you know, sometimes obviously it's easy to rotate the map around so that you think, you know, you're driving down this street and you've got to turn left or right. But if you have that, that ability to visualise spatially, then you don't need to be rotating the, the map book that you're holding around. I, <laughs> I realise, too, we're moving into an age where map books are becoming something of the past, but you get the idea, you, you know what I'm saying, when you're looking at any sort of plan or map or, um, you know, overlay or anything like that, that ability to, to look at it and to visualise where the different things might go, um, the ability to, to, to think about it, you know, as I said, rotated or flipped or... Um, moving it here, moving it there, um, where where you are on the map or where you are on that diagram and so on and so forth becomes a, a really important thing. 
You know, that brings an interesting question. When you uh, hold a map here in the U.S. and in the Northern Hemisphere, north is up. When you're in Australia, is it the same way? Yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah, north is is up (laughs) on uh, most maps that are made, so absolutely. I just didn't know and didn't know if it you you guys flipped it around and went to the nearest pole. You know? <laughs> no, no, north is is always up on a map usually. Always usually. <laughs> all right. Um sorry to derail with that. No, that's all right. I was going to derail earlier when you were saying Legos actually. I was thinking, you know, I say uh, tomato, you say tomato, I say Lego, you say Legos. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I tend to add extra s's to the end of stuff anyway, so <laughs> But yes, when playing with bunches of them, we, I, I add the S. Yep. Well, I think you know if we come back to talking just at the start. Well, you know, I mentioned Tetris before. Um, Tetris is is a game that I would use in my classroom. Um, we have games very similar to this that you can play on iOS. Uh, there are a lot of puzzle apps that involve shape manipulation, um, and. Really, that's all about looking at its polyminoes usually. These are um, shapes made up of a collection of squares and looking at uh, where do they fit and how do they fit the, the pattern that I need, that I, that I require according to the rules of the game. So Tetris is a great example. Obviously, you're trying to fill up the lines without creating any, any holes. And so you're looking at the shapes that are dropping down from above and trying to move them right, left, rotate them or whatever else to fill the space down the bottom. Um, that's a that's a real a, a really good poster child for the sort of thing I'm talking about, where it's getting the kids to think about what shapes look like: rotated left, rotated right, um, moved. You know that that whole flip slides transitions of shapes. Uh, you know, there's the sort of language we use in our curriculum um, that that is really important. There there are a couple of board games that fit under this this category as well. Um, Blockus is is a great example of this, where you've got a, a set of polyminoes of different sorts, and you're trying to um, lay them all out on the board. The other players are trying to do the same. A very very simple game, an extremely good game too. If you if you want to look for a, a great um, just a general great game blockus is one right yeah blo- the whole the whole objective of, of blockus is to get all of your pieces onto the table or to be the person with the fewest leftover elements that that you have been unable to get onto mm. the table and and that's a whole series of game where you're not really doing a lot of uh scoring or decision making you're just trying to get all of your stuff onto the board and the decisions relate to those pieces now there's another game have you played gridstones no okay gridstones is uh you've got a a a small board in front of you and depending on whether there's two three or four players the the size of the playing area is going to differ which is common to this kind of game that you do the same thing in blocus Mm -hmm. Uh, and then each person has a handful of cards and you have stones that you're putting down on the board and you're trying to match your card to the pattern of the stones on the board, and the other people are trying to match the stones on the board to different cards that they have. So it's play a, play a stone or pick up a stone as you're moving around the table. So everybody's manipulating the game. And this is a game that helps people you know, think, oh, I'm going after this card. No, I can't do that. I'm going after another card. Very simple, very fast playing. But it, it once again plays with the spatial. Hey, I'm moving stuff around the board with a little more uh, critical thought as to what you're going to go after, how you're going to try and fake out the other players, that kind of thing. 
There's another great um, example. I can't remember the name of the game. It's dots or something along those lines. But you have a collection. Every player has got the same set of it might be four or six cards or something along those lines. All of the the cards are square. All of the cards are um, see through. So you can you can hold them up and look through the cards at the other players. But the each card has also got a, a pattern of dots printed on it. And there aren't very many. There might be three or four or five dots per card, and they're all in different colours and um, what happens is you flip over a card in the centre of the table that might have a particular pattern on it and then using your you know four five or six cards or how many there are you have to arrange all of them so that when you look through them um, you see that particular pattern um, that is rep- that is on that card in the middle of the table and so you need to be able to rotate the cards in your hand and cover up dots with other dots and so forth uh, and it, beca- it becomes a really interesting sort of puzzling um, spatial relations game. Right. Um, So the question is, a lot of games use space. You know, if you talk about race games, you're proceeding through a space. If you talk about flicking games, uh, like we're trying to flick the game through the hole while the other guy's trying to do the same thing, uh, you use space in a variety of ways. Uh, a lot of these games, you can you can just say, well, they're a normal game that you're using space. What are some of the defining characteristics of um, space games? I mean, the, the where this matters is it is it that you're you're being very precise as where you're putting the pieces, or no, I think I think you're right. I think we sort of covered two broad categories of spatial games. You discussed one at the start, and I discussed um, one just just not long ago. Uh, first of all, the sort of game that I was talking about involves uh, manipulating shapes or pieces um, to to fit a particular pattern or a particular desire that you've got in the game. It might be something like Tetris or Blockus is a great example of that. Um, the type of game that you were talking about earlier when you were talking about Pente, you were talking about Go, um, these are games whereby sequentially placing pieces down on the board, you're trying to subdivide the board into spaces. And so there's a there's a difference between, I think, dividing the, the board space into its different, you know, compartmentalising the board um, so as best to advantage you um, and the type of game that I was talking about where you're manipulating shapes and you're, you're or manipulating pieces and flipping them around and placing them on top of other things and, and so on. Um, the skills that are different are... Uh, well, the skills in some ways are very, very similar. You're looking at a space and you're looking at, at how best to manipulate, to subdivide um, or whatever else using you know your pieces um, for the betterment of your position in the game. But the, 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 the differences come down to, I suppose, on one hand, a lot of the games like Blockus or Fitz is another great example, Carcassonne, um, Blockus 3D, Tetris. You're, you've, got, you've got shapes, you're turning them to the left, you're turning them to the right, you might be flipping them over and then trying to place them on the board. Whereas in something like Go or Pente, you're trying to um, partition the board space off so as best to advantage you. So there's a little bit of, I think, a paradigm, you know, there's a different sort of paradigm for both games, but they they both involve the player mentally manipulating the space on the board or the space of the pieces. Gotcha. And I can think of one other kind of space-related game that we haven't mentioned at all that's pretty important. Um, have you ever played 
uh, tangrams or tangos? Uh, yes, I have, yep. It's where you're taking a bunch of different shapes and you're trying to uh, mimic an image on a card. And then there's another, there's a 3D version of it, Builder, um, where you've got blocks that man- you manipulate. Uh, and these are ones where you're just trying to, it's like putting together a puzzle based off of a, a fixed set of pieces. I think, you know, what you said there really ties in, isn't it, into, you know, or sums up really what we've been talking about. A lot of these games are very puzzle-like. They And, and this is why they fall under the maths curriculum um, here, you know, from where I'm talking about, is because it involves that, that maths logic, that ability to be able to visualise, to look at a shape or a, or a, you know, space and to be able to, um, you know, use that and manipulate the pieces or manipulate the space to, to meet the needs that you've got. So it's that, that maths logical sort of puzzle thinking, um, you know, aspect of your brain is really what's going to be firing when you're playing these sort of games. Right. And uh, some other games that work along those lines would be a bongo and a bongo extreme, yep. where everybody has... Uh, you know, different sets of patterns, different pe- uh, the same set of pieces and different set of patterns. That they're, they're all trying to match a, under a timer. And so if you're trying to get this kind of activity into the class with small groups, that works very well. Yeah, that's an excellent game. Um, very, very much like a competitive puzzle. Um, you know, and, and many of these games are very much like that. Another one that I quite like is Fitz. Um, I've got a couple of sets of that in my classroom. It really is Tetris, the board game. <laughs> You've got a whole oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. got a whole bunch of um, polyminoes and you're sliding them down um, your, your sort of board and trying to slot them in. Each of the boards has got a different set of rules um, on it. So in some boards you're trying to cover everything up and some boards you're trying to cover everything up except for the numbers which score your points. In other boards you've, you're trying to cover everything up except for the ones, especially, sorry, the ones that have got numbers on them because they score negative points and so on so the the difference in the boards makes it for makes for an interesting game in that that one that's fits but um yeah there's a lot of games that fall under this banner right and i would say that these are great for kinesthetic learners people who have to get their hands on stuff and and it really helps them engage with what they're doing uh I would say that that also that they're good solo activities. So if you've got kids who, you know, they come in, maybe they're waiting for a video game at the library or they're waiting for the parents to come pick them up or maybe they finished a test, that a lot of these activities can be done fairly quietly. And so that uh, they're non-distracting. It's not like rolling dice and moving pieces or, you know, running around, you know, looking for the bouncing egg or whatever it is. That, uh, that these activities are good solo or in small groups, yep. as well as stuff that you can do, um, you know, quietly. No, you're absolutely right, Don. And there are a whole range, too, of, of you know, things that we haven't talked about, like puzzles and, and um, you know, other bits and pieces. There are a whole lot of apps as well that tie into this style of game um, that are really, really good. And we haven't even touched, really, on, on the whole um, spatial aspect of, of building dexterity games. Um, so, you know, that's something that we might come back to in a future episode. Or um, even deduction games. Uh, actually, I don't know if deduction is the right word for it. Um, have you played uh, Ricochet Robots? I have, yep. Um, Ricochet Robots is a game all about space and pathing, where 
everybody is playing with all of the pieces on the board. Nobody has their own set pace pieces. And it says you are trying to get the red board to the or the red robot to the red spot on the board. And everybody has to figure out or it's a race to figure out who can get that piece to the right end zone or to the right spot in the fewest number of moves. And you can move other robots and there's a set of rules and guidelines for how you can move. But it is a very space oriented game. And I think that what are some of the benefits that uh, our players will get from these kinds of games and activities? Well, I think, you know, we've talked a fair bit about the the benefits. I think that whole concept of thinking spatially, of being able to uh, manipulate shapes, to, to think about what this is going to look like when it's turned to the left or when it's turned to the right or when it's upside down, um, you know, all of these uh, skills are important, at least from my perspective, are important because they fall under that, that whole, um, you know, aspect of the maths curriculum. But they're, they're, they're also, you know, important in terms of, you know, how to, when you're, you know, in a shopping centre and you're looking at the plan of a shopping centre, you know, or you're reading a map or whatever else. There's also, I think, you know, whenever you're playing these sort of games, you really are exercising that maths logic um, section, you know, of your brain, the way you think. And so that really is something that, that is uh, important and, and is useful as well. Well, all right then. Um, is there anything else that we want to talk about before we wrap things up? No, I think that's about it. I think there's a few things that we can come back to. I'd love to talk about dexterity games at some stage, especially the the building dexterity games. I've got a great love for all things dexterity. So <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Robo Rally or other planned movement games in the future as well. So that I think that we've got a lot more that we can come back to, but look for spatial games and uh, see if you can fit them into your gaming space. I like that, Don. Well done. I stumbled on it. (laughs) Not very good. Well, that's that for this episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. If... Are there any games that you think that uh, we have left out and we should not have? Or if there are any things that you would like to pick us up on or suggest or any feedback that you've got, we'd love to hear it. You can contact us at uh, schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com. And until next time, this is Giles Pritchard. And Donald Dennis for Games in Schools and Libraries. Games in Schools and Libraries is kindly hosted by the Games for Educators website. You can find them at www.g4ed.com. You can subscribe to their newsletter, check out games through their game finder, and of course, it's the home of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. Drop by and post comments on the episodes. We love feedback. Games in Schools and Libraries is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. To view a copy of this license, visit our webpage at the Games for Educators website.